Perry and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and along with me is Tim Parrish. And this episode is a little behind schedule. We've been pretty good at doing one a week, and then we kind of uh, both got a little busy. Um, but fortunately, that extra episode that I did back in December makes up for the uh, the week that we missed in July. Well, you got to pay it back, pay it backward, I guess. In this case, pay pay it backwards. Yeah, so, I mean, so if you're missing one, go back into the archives and listen to another one. Re listen to the interview that I did with uh, Mike Brown. That's oh, probably yeah, that's one of my favorite. One. My yeah, favorite ones, one. yeah, that was uh, that was a uh, good. My favorite was like when I I asked uh, Brown. I said, I said to him, I said, yeah, and you we're we're talking, and I said, yeah, and you scored a, a goal at the World Junior Championships that I could tell he got all proud. He's like, yes, I did. <laughs> it's just such a just a funny like uh, re reply to him. He was just so uh, just I could tell that he was still proud of that goal like twenty years later. But he just said. Um, What's, what's just thinking about that now he said that he he went to take a slap shot at the blue line when he he you know he, he crossed over the blue line and he went to take a slap shot and he didn't he he didn't fan on the puck but he didn't get a good hit on the puck so the puck went along the ice and the goalie was expecting it to be high and hard and instead it kind of kind of went low and trickled past the goalie and he's like yeah it fooled fooled everybody including the goalie so it's just funny that he you know of course he's going to remember that goal but you know it wasn't like a goal scorer's goal it was just one of those lucky shots but still a great story yeah he's um, also he, he also liked to talk about working out yeah i've been trying to work out uh i joined this this online workout program that's been pretty good so far uh, when i do it it's been pretty good, but we'll see. I'll, I'll get, get back to me in eight to 12 weeks about that. And I'll let you know if I'm where I'm supposed to be. Okay. I'll write that um, down. Eight to 12 weeks. Eight, eight to 12 weeks. Check up on Sal. So, uh, so, okay. So hockey's coming back and we have actually some hockey stuff that you wanted to, to talk about in today's show. So let's, let's, let's talk hockey. That's what we're here for. Well, we've got dates for the first time since we've been on the air. August 1st begins the qualifying rounds for the playoffs. So um, everybody's uh, anxiously awaiting that. But the cool thing is we get to have some hockey before that too. July 28th, 29th, and 30th, we get uh, preview games um, that uh, we'll see some matchups that aren't necessarily the playoff matchups per se, but um, kind of prep games to, to get everybody up and rolling um, ahead of time. So. That's pretty cool. July 28th, the, the very first game since the stoppage of play will be at 4 p.m., and it's the Penguins and Flyers. So that should, that's, be, that should be fun. That's, uh, yeah, so I like they're calling it preview games. Not preseason, because we're, we're, we're done with the season. So they're postseason, but not playoff. So they're not preseason, and they're not postseason, and they're not regular season, so they're preview games. Well, if you look at the matchups too, they made sure they picked the uh, some marquee matchups because Penguins mm -hmm. Flyers is always a yeah. knockdown, dragout fight. Um, the Maple Leafs are playing the Canadians. 
So there's no love lost there. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, the Oilers and Flames. We all know how that Battle of Alberta goes. Um, Wednesday, it's kind of cool because they have six games. And from 12 p.m. noon, I guess this is your Eastern time, um, all the way through the last game starts at 10.30 p.m. I mean, there's six games. So every two and a half hours, another game is uh, taking place. So we've got Tampa Bay at Florida. Um, the Avs play the Wild. The Hurricanes play the Capitals. Chicago and uh, St. Louis. Mm. The, the, ba- the Battle of New York with the Islanders and the Rangers. Uh, Canucks play the Jets. So, I mean, these are, these are good games to to throw back on there. I mean, this isn't like expo- ex- what you would expect to see in like, exhibition games. This is like marquee matchups. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, one thing that I thought that was pretty cool, and I didn't get a chance to look at all of them, but how all these teams are carrying like tons of extra players. Like it, it's not their... 22 man roster or 24 man roster it's like a 40 man roster almost five yeah, goalies i mean right they're trying five. to yeah they're trying to gauge um who's ready to play and who's not and get to the point where they can weed down their roster before they have to be locked down permanently in uh, toronto and edmonton mm-hmm. so not all those guys are going to be traveling you can guarantee that but you will see uh I think you'll you will see these rosters kind of massaged a little bit um, as we go forward. So, because you have uh, you have various things that keep popping up, like for instance, the moniker of being deemed unfit to play, um, which <laughs> I don't know what that even means. To All be right, honest. well, I'm just going to come out right now and say that I am unfit to play. I have not played okay. since. March 6th. And so, you're, so you're even saying you're unfit to play in a beer league. I, you know, it's funny because a lot of my hockey friends have emailed me and have been like, hey, man, when are you going to start up your, your weekly rat hockey game again? And I'm like, well, I guess when the rink opens back up. But even when the rink opens back up, I'm not so sure I want to do that because you need a lot of people to play hockey. I mean... If it was three on three and goalies and um, no line changes, that's well, one that thing. It could be fun, but you get tired. That could be fun. A bunch of amateur skaters falling all over the ice with all that open ice. It's what we do anyway. But yeah, yeah. what we do exactly. at five on five and we have line changes and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm unfit to play beer league. A lot of my guys are like, uh, even like some of my friends have started like saying, Oh, well I went to this suburban rink. They had a stick and puck and that's basically you just kind of show up and do whatever you want for an hour. But like what they're doing with the stick and puck is they're limiting it, limiting it to 18 skaters, but they're doing nine per side and then they're hanging a tarp down the middle of the ice. So whichever side you're on, you stay on that side of the ice. You don't go to the other side of the ice and spread your germs. So if you only, so if if you're sick and you spread germs, you only spread it to those other eight players. But then they're also saying that 
if you are not on the ice, you need to cover your mouth with a mask. And if you're on the ice, then you don't have to cover your mouth. And in all the youth hockey players, they're doing clinics with them. They're making them all wear what they call the fishbowl, which is basically the top half is a visor, the bottom part is a cage, like an iTech, if you've seen those. Yeah. Or like a Bauer concept, same idea. So are actually the same mask. I think the iTech became the Bauer concept. Um, so uh, that's that's kind of what's up. And I'm not feeling too great about going back to the rink because one hockey rinks are just filthy places to begin with. I mean, I know with the NHL, it's a little bit cleaner, but then again, they had a mumps outbreak a couple of years ago, so it can't be that clean. And <laughs> then the other thing is that like, not only are like hockey locker rooms in like rec league hockey and youth hockey, pretty disgusting to begin with. Um, they're not letting us use the locker rooms. They're basically telling people, Show up in all of your gear, except for your skate, your gloves, and your helmet. You know, you show up dressed pretty much. Then you put your skates on in the lobby and your helmet on, and then you go out and you play. And, I mean, I don't like wearing hockey gear to begin with. Like, I like playing hockey, and I'm used to my gear. But, like, I would hate to, like, get in gear, drive to the rink, get out of, you know, and especially then drive home. Okay, now you're all sweaty, right? Great. Now you're going to take off your helmet and your skates, and you're going to get back in your car in the middle of July and drive home. Well, I imagine there'll be many a person naked in the parking lot, <laughs> taking yeah. all their gear off and putting it in the trunk. Oh, but. God, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not like super like ready to go back to play. Um, so yeah, I'm not game ready, and I don't want to be game ready. Um, or uh, unfit to play, whatever. So, so, so back to the unfit to play moniker. So, I, I take it you take that to believe that that means out of shape. Well, they're not really telling us what it means, are right? They? Exactly. That's why I'm saying the the unfit to play moniker is now that's the new upper body or lower body. Oh, he's got an upper body. You don't know what that is. It's just something upper body. Well, upper Un body. They're gonna assume respiratory. Yeah, Obviously. He's got a he's got an unfit to play. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. And I know the coach basically said, um, we're talking about Corey Crawford here. Okay, um, yeah, Corey Crawford. Yeah. So Jeremy Colleton, Blackhawks coach. Yeah. Uh Colleton's basically said, um, you know, I'll comment upon I'll comment on players who are here and who are who are working out and playing. Since he's not here, I'm not commenting on it. So that's okay. I Whatever. It is what it is, I guess. Well, guess look, we'll it's, it's an invasion of privacy. See, so here's the problem. It's an invasion of privacy, uh, medical privacy, if you disclose that somebody has an illness or they're sick, right? Like, I can't tell my students at my class, oh, Joe is not going to be in class anymore. He has cancer, right? Like, that's, that's a the HIPAA privacy, right? That's a violation of that. That so, is yes, because you have no, you have no, um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? You have no say in in that, like that's like you don't have power of attorney to speak for that person, I guess. Right, right. Versus you're talking about sports teams that release news all the time about teams and players and all of that kind of stuff. Now I understand the whole COVID thing; they're not talking about who has COVID. 
unless they're a sports reporter and basically say, Austin Matthews has COVID. Um, but, you know, they're, they're not identifying individual players unless the players or their agents come right out and, and tell everybody anyway. But usually during the season, you know, oh, so-and-so is out of the lineup. Well, why? Oh, well, they have an upper body or they have this or they have that. Yeah. They don't usually say specifically what it is, but they'll say they're injured or uh, they're taking a maintenance day or they're sick or, you know, they came down with something or whatever. Uh, and they throw that out there. But I just find it interesting that the whole unfit to play thing, that could mean a number of things and we'll probably never find out what it actually is. I don't mind the upper body versus lower body. I don't mind. I, I don't mind that they don't get specific. And I understand why, because you see it all the time. Guy comes back from having a broken finger. What does his opponents do? Of course. They slash him on the hand, right? You know, I mean, we even, I mean, you know, it's even kind of a joke, like when a friend comes back from hockey and, oh, how you doing? Oh, you know, I back for the first time in eight weeks after injuring my shoulder. And I'll say, oh, which one am I supposed to slash? You know, it's a joke, obviously. But, you know, that's the thing, right? So if I'm... If I'm coming back from a knee injury and everybody knows that it's my right knee, although if you watch a video of a guy getting his knee taken out, you're going to know it's his right knee. But, I mean, if if my opponents know, you know, that's – I don't know, man. There's – there's there's there well, are advantage people, goes to the enemy. Right, you know, exactly. If they know your weakness, they'll exploit your weakness. Right. I mean, sure, that's basic – you know, that's basic strategy of war right there. Right. But, so but, – uh, I don't yeah. mind that. I don't mind. I don't need to know that the guy has a fractured pinky finger. He, he's not playing. He's not playing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to get some hockey here coming up pretty quick. So that'll be good. Where we, where we won't get hockey is uh, the USA World Junior Summer Showcase. That has been canceled. So um, I don't know if those that are familiar with the World Juniors – they usually have the summer showcase in order to pick the roster for the world junior championship, the IHF. Mm -hmm. um, but since they're canceling it, it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. That's scheduled for December right now from December 26th to January 5th um, for next year. But uh, you know, the cool things about these, especially if you like to, if you're a hockey card collector, um, this gives you an opportunity for prospecting. Um, cause they usually invite about 44, 40 to 45 players get invited to this event. This, this year, 17 of them were eligible for the draft. So mm. you would have got to see a lot of players that are, are potentially going to be drafted when they hold the, uh, hold the draft later this year. So, um, you know, that's. It's kind of a cool event, but unfortunately, they're going to have to find another way to choose players for the for the championship since it is now become a victim of the cancellations due to the COVID. So, so getting back to that, I know there there were six players who are opting out of playing right now. Yes, we had six players, starting with the Trailblazer Travis Hamonic, came out and said he was the first one that said, "I'm not doing it. I'm out." Um, and I, I kind of jokingly said on Twitter, those that follow, that, uh, oh, because because Hamannick's in the news, all of his cards are going to shoot through the roof because everybody's talking about him because that seems to be the trend in most sports. Um, 
unfortunately, in hockey, it doesn't work that way. So Hamannix cards did not go through the roof, <laughs> and that was me joking. But, uh, yeah, Travis Hamannick, Mike Green from Edmonton, uh, Steve Camfer from Boston, Carl Osner. Uh, who else was in there? Oh, Sven Berchi was in there, and Roman Pollock uh, from Dallas. So Max Domi can still opt out. He has an opportunity to. The, uh, the team gave him extra time, which will be interesting because if he opts out, he's predicted to be a huge impact player in that Montreal-Pittsburgh series. So if he decides to stay out, that could turn the tide. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see that. But uh, Domi has been widely publicized. He's, uh, he's diabetic, so he's already got a compromised immune system right out of the bat. Mm. And uh, so, so that's the that's the scoop on that. But uh, no ill will against any of these guys. I mean, I'm surprised Moore didn't. To be honest with you, I, I I thought there'd be that list would be a lot larger than it than it is. So, but uh, more power to him. I mean, I I can appreciate the decision. I mean, you're seeing a lot of baseball players opt out right now. Sure. Players in the NBA opted out. Major League Baseball players are opting out. So, I mean, you're going to see that across the board. And as we get closer to the NFL season, you know, who knows what will happen there. Yeah, I mean, NFL, you got to – there's so much contact in that. I mean, it's just – That's all it is is contact. So all it is. It's contact. Unless you're the quarterback, then you just hope it to not be contact. Well, unless you're Tom Brady. It's pretty much the only quarterback that never gets touched. Mm. So, so, oh, that might change now that he's on a new team. Uh, maybe we'll see. But uh, oh, there was a coach too that opted out. Do tell. Uh, Mike Kitchen, the assistant coach for the Florida Panthers, um, also opted out. So he was the only coach. Mm. So mm. they don't really talk about staff and all that kind of stuff. So who knows how many other staff members from teams and employees and things like that may have, but. Yeah, I, I'm. It should be interesting to see as we get closer to the start of the season, uh, and if there's any other diagnoses, uh, diagnoses, especially, you know, that the players are practicing in their hometown or their 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 team cities right now, and there's no. I mean, it, it's on them really to social distance. Right, you know? and you know. The NHL has been pretty transparent when it comes to announcing, you know, what they're doing and the testing and all that kind of stuff. They came out a couple days ago and said that since phase two started, 43 players have tested positive and that's since June 8th. So 30 of those players have been during the actual phase two portion, which is the limited skating in the team facilities and small groups of teammates and, and such. So they're saying that about 600 players took, you know, took part in, in that whole thing. So 30 out of 600, that's half a percent. Um, well, no, 10% would be 60. So 5% would be 30. Of 600 of the 600. So oh, yeah. Six, so five, 5%. So you're at 5% of uh, 5% positive tests across the board. They did note that they had like, I think it was like 13 cases, uh, new cases since the initial report. 
So that's why they're at 43 instead of the 30 that I just said. But, you know, it's interesting to look at all that because they've conducted almost 5,000 tests already um, amongst just the players themselves. So, you know, 600 players being tested 5,000, you know, 5,000 times, you know, that kind of gives you an idea of for this whole entire thing to go down and work the sheer amount of testing that's going to be done once this process is all said and done. I mean, if they've done 5,000 tests since June 8th on 600 guys, you can only imagine that that number is going to increase exponentially. I just want to know where they're getting all these tests from. I mean, it's the NHL. They have money. They can afford it, but still. Where are all these tests coming from? Who has that many tests? There's hospitals that don't even have that many. Yeah, well... State of Illinois, we have a lot of tests. We have all these testing centers. We had so many testing centers that they actually closed a few down because they were getting so few tests. And there were other ones that were like within reasonable distance. But yeah, I mean, we're, we did, we're doing, we're at like 30,000 tests a day now. So um, it is possible. I guess it just depends on the leadership, right? Like for every state like Illinois, well, unfortunately, no. I want to say for every state like Illinois, there's a state like Texas, but there seems to be a couple states like Texas, and it's just, um, you know, I mean, it's what the priorities were. Here, the priorities were about testing and social distancing and all that stuff. I mean, I'm really curious to see the season go. I mean, this just sounds like such a strange way to end the season uh, but obviously, I don't want to see anybody get sick and die. I don't want to see other people get sick and die. People are still getting sick and dying, not not just people who are over 60. Um, and I'm not trying to, like, spread fear, but I'm just saying this is still a pretty serious thing. I understand, though, why the sports teams want to be back, because they're going to get watched. People will watch hockey in July, even if they're not a hockey fan. Because there's nothing else on. There's nothing then, else sure. on. Right. I mean, yeah, you're going to have the Look NBA. at how many people watched the NASCAR races the last few weeks that they had. The Na- NASCAR has been is like quadrupled its viewership only because there's there was no other choice. Well, NASCAR, you know, I mean, the, the players don't make contact with each other. And they social distance and everybody's in their own car. So that kind of... they get in the pits and they all jump out and fight each other. Okay, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Wow. At least, at least in hockey, you can just fight each other without having to get out of your car. Yeah, you just so. get out of the get off the bench and fight. Yeah. So, um, what uh, was I going to say? Uh, so we're going to have like a bunch of games every day. Like, is it six games a, a night? Six games a day? Um, yeah, depending on the depending on the day, it looks like everything is going to be filtered into you know multiple games throughout the day and from the looks of things i i think the vast majority of this is going to be televised so um boy now, if, you, if, you, if you haven't watched hockey in a while this is a good time to bring it all back well i gotta tell you i love the day after thanksgiving where the nhl just has like they have their 11 o'clock game and they have like a three o'clock game and they have, it's almost like the, what the NFL does every Sunday. I mean, 
I watched, I mean, I, I've said this before, I watched hockey for 11 hours straight and I just loved it. I mean, I just went from one game to another game to another game and it's just like, I mean, honestly, okay, uh, August 1, my sister's getting married that day, so I am not going to be watching hockey that day and honestly, uh -huh. I'm a little sad that that's like the start of the playoffs or the play-ins or the qualifying rounds, whatever you want to call it. It's a, it's an exciting day. And, uh, what time it, is the wedding? Oh, probably like three ish. Well, you got the noon game. You could yeah, probably squeeze that in beforehand, but I'm going to be there at noon. Cause I got to help. They're having it in their backyard. So I'm going to help to set up and stuff like that. And, yeah. From the looks of things. the So the first day there's three games, um, and oh, actually, no, there's five games first day. Mm -hmm. And then the second day, there's five. The third day, there's six. So it's going to fluctuate between five and six games almost every single day. And they've got them pretty well spread out throughout the day, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be a bonanza of hockey. Again, assuming we get to that point, we still have to get to that point. Yeah, well, if we get to that point, that's going to be great because I got to tell you, <clears throat> I've um, I'm I'm teaching a sports writing class uh, to some high school students this summer, and it's going to wrap up right at the end of the month because the class meets three times a week, and then my other class is online only. I mean, the, this class is online, but we do a Zoom conference. My other class, I just record material and put it online for them. So honestly, like the month of August. I don't have to leave my house except to get food and I don't have to like miss hockey. So I could literally marathon hockey every, every day. I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to make this some sort of a Facebook challenge or something. You know, we have all these idiot challenges like the ice bucket challenge. And uh, what were some of the other ones? Um, the cinnamon challenge. Oh, is that like you eat a whole thing of cinnamon? Yeah. You should try that while watching hockey. See how that goes. No, 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 no. I'm going to do like the, I need to do like the, the hockey qualifying round challenge where you just, you know. There's the milk challenge too. Oh no, I know how that one ends. It does not or end the, well. The saltine cracker challenge. Um, you can't, no, one. no, but see, we know it's been proven that you can't eat a whole box of saltine crackers. I don't think it's a whole box. I think it's like six, six okay. or 12. You have to put in your mouth at once and then try to swallow. Yeah, yeah, that's how you die from choking. <laughs> well, that's that's how the cinnamon one is. You know what I want? You know what I want to see? I want to see the cliff jumping challenge. Cliff Wait. jumping? Yeah, you jump off a cliff. Here, and I'll I'll record it. And then I'll look over the cliff and go, "Yeah, good job, dude. Totally got that. Going to put this on social media now." I, I don't know. I've ever seen that. That, no. that might be a new thing. You could just make that up. I did. All right. Because you know what? What did your parents always say? If your friend th th jumped off a cliff, would you do so too? Yeah. And the answer is, if they put it on Facebook. There you go. As long as it was recorded and I get lots of likes. Yes. Like and subscribe. Huh? There you go. You know. There you go. Um, so yeah, the cliff, the cliff jumping challenge. Um, no, cause it's just like, just because somebody stupid on Facebook does something doesn't mean you also have to do something stupid on Facebook. Um, which is why I never do any of those challenges. Cause I don't care. 
I might do the push-up challenge if somebody took me up on that because I've been trying to get in shape and uh, working out and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good thing, right? That's not me, you know, eating a box of crackers. Yeah. Until I choke to death or whatever. I don't know. Oh, I mean, that'd be your last challenge. No, you know what? We need to do... Oh, I got it. Why didn't I think about this? We need to do the stale gum challenge. Like, where we just open packs of 80s hockey cards, and then we eat the gum. Um, I think I'd rather do the cinnamon one. No, I gotta tell you something, though. <laughs> the Topps gum is still pretty good. It's hard, but they put so much sugar on it, it tastes good. The Opeachy gum has less sugar. And it, it's the gum is like... Um, it's more gravelly. It's a different texture. Like the tops gum is hard, but if you chew it long enough, it it, it becomes gum. The opichi gum never really. It just tastes like wet sand. So we need to do we need to do a stale gum challenge. Puck Junk presents the stale gum challenge, and for every person that does the stale gum challenge, I will click the like button on their post. Ugh. I ain't got any money. <laughs> uh, I will click the like yeah. button on the Facebook page of the charity of your choice. There you go. There so you go. Uh, anything else before we move on to hockey cards? Well, the only other things, there's been nominations for some of the awards. Oh, um, yes. Do tell. Uh, since this, since we're not a necessarily a a hockey podcast and more of a card podcast. I'll try to we're run through little, these pretty quick, but yeah, we're a little, we're a little bit, bit of both. both I yeah. think so. You can't the ca- have hockey cards without hockey. True. That is true. Um, well, the Calder back in the beginning of the season, I said, mark my words, the Calder is going to kill McCarr. Right. Well, one of the three finalists, kill McCarr. Or the other although, two. Although I'm, uh, I'm thinking he might have lost out to this one now. But uh, so um, you basically have um, Hughes, you got Kubalik, and you have Makar. Those are your three choices for Rookie of the Year. So um, Hughes basically led rookies in assists and points. So out of 68 games, he had 53 points, uh, 45 assists. You know, he's a D-man for the Canucks. So the fact that he, you know, led rookies in power play points and averaged like almost 22 minutes of ice time, I mean, that's pretty good. Um, You know, he's got the Canucks rookie record for assists now and power play points, and he was three points from tying Dale Talon um, for the most – in a season by any rookie defenseman for the Canucks. So um, if the season wouldn't have paused, he would have probably blow that out of the water. So, um, but uh, you know, Elias Pettersson won it last year. Right. I think if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. So no teams had consecutive players win the Calder since Bobby Orr and Derek Sanderson did it for the Bruins. So it'll be interesting to see. And I think, you know, he's got the numbers. But, uh, you know, the competition, you know, Dominic Kubalik uh, from the Blackhawks, you know, he had 30 goals. He was third with uh, 46 points. Um, 
he came on at the end. I mean, he was definitely in the conversation. Um, so he's the fifth Blackhawks player in history uh, to score 30 goals as a rookie. Uh, the first since... Any idea? Patrick Kane? Nope. That would be Jeremy. Our... I'm not going to say Jeremy Roenick. I don't think he had 30 his rookie year. Nope. More recent than that. It would oh, be... Uh, oh, 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 uh, Panarin. Yes, correct. Panarin did that in 1516. So, um, so he would be the 10th Blackhawk if he wins it to win the Calder. So... Um, I think if the season a... went... If the season just ran its normal course. I think it would have been Kubalik just because he had so many goals, uh, which well, is I mean, really, he was impressive. on a tear at the end. Yeah. Like, he, he was in the discussion almost every week about leading various categories. So, and the, the Hawks were fully behind him. I mean, the, the kid's good. He's really good. But uh, speaking of good, Kale McCarr. So that was my pick beginning of the season. I'm still sticking to it, but, uh, I think the injury that he had this year that kept him sidelined for a while uh, kind of hurt his numbers, but uh, he led all rookie defensemen in goals. He had 12. Uh, he led power play goals with four and even strength goals with eight. So those are his big highlights. But, uh, you know, the guy's tough. I mean, he's real tough. Um, he set the Avalanche rookie defenseman record for points in a season. Um, so we'll see, see if he can become the first, first Calder winner since Nathan McKinnon out there in, uh, in the mile high city. So that'll be interesting. But, um, the, uh, Ted Lindsay award finalists came out also, uh, dry McKinnon and Panarin are on that list. So no surprises there. Um, most people think Dreisaitl is going to run away with it because he led the league with 110 points and 110 points in a shortened season. That's, it's nothing to shake a stick at, but, uh, so we'll see, we'll see how that works out in the end. Uh, McKinnon was fifth, I think in points with 93 and, uh, Panarin was third, I want to say with 95. So. Um, we'll see how that, that works its way out. And they also announced the Jack Adams trophy for coach of the year. If people care about coaches, of course. Uh, that would be, uh, Elaine Vigneault, uh, John Tortorella. And, uh, I believe Cassidy was the other choice yes. for that. So, you know, they're, they did pretty well. All three of those guys, uh, very deserving across the board so we'll definitely see how that works out it's been so long since i've watched hockey i don't know if we have any omissions on those lists or not but you know yeah no i uh i uh i'd like to see cassidy win it i mean you know props to tortorella i like all of those coaches listed i mean uh there's very few coaches i have problems with um i mean vino's top notch tortorella's interesting in a good way. Like, I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean that in like a fun way. He's an interesting coach. Um, and then um, uh, Cassidy, I mean, he's, he's a relatively young coach. I mean, he hasn't been around like some of these guys have just been around forever. Uh, and, and so I'd like to see him win. 
he's a former Blackhawk, uh, Blackhawk prospect in the 80s who just didn't uh, hit a knee injury, I believe, and that pretty much ended his career. Like, he played, like, a few games in the, like, late 80s, and then he just kind of uh, just kind of petered out. Um, so it's it's good to see, um, you know, good to see him still around in hockey. Obviously, I'm talking about 30 years ago because I remember my 88-89 Blackhawk team set had a Bruce Cassidy card because it had, like, all the major guys and it had, like, bit players like Eddie Belfour, Bruce Cassidy, Everett Santapass, Dan Vincelette, you know, these guys who would be up and down for, like, a few games, you know. So, um, no, I, I remember him, and I was always like, oh, what happened to him? Oh, he was a touted prospect, and, uh, you know, now he's in the coaching ranks, and he's he's a finalist, and, you know, he's uh, one of the best among his peers. So that's exciting. I'm really excited. I'm excited for him. Um you know, just good Good to see. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for all of them. Um, I mean, if you think about it, there's only 30 coaching jobs, or 32, I should say now. Um, and there's some that are vacant right now. <laughs> Speaking uh, of which, what do you think about that Devils hire with Lindy Ruff? I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean... I was not expecting that at all, to be honest. And maybe... That's because I don't necessarily follow the Devils, but uh, that I don't know that that to me I thought was kind of strange. But what do I know? Why do you say that? Well, I mean, considering some of the other guys that don't have coaching jobs mm-hmm. that could have been thrown on that list, I mean, Peter Laviolette comes to mind. Oh, he's the first that comes to mind. I'm, yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't had. He's not a coach right now. Yeah, I mean, he's coaching. I mean, he's still going to coach Team USA, but I mean, but I'm hoping anybody for, that was given an opportunity to coach in the NHL, I'm sure is going to take the job. Right. So. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was kind of hoping that Laviolette would become the Blackhawks coach once they missed the playoffs, but. Now they're in the playoffs, and we're just going to see how this plays out, obviously. A playoffs play-in, whatever. I'm just calling it the playoffs. It's actually the play... Play-in. The play-ins. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, that's what they call it, a play-in game. The you play-in play in to get to the playoffs. Yeah. We would do that with our in our men's league hockey, because I think one time we had, like, one year we had, like, nine teams. So it was just like... You know, okay, you let the top eight teams. So what? One team doesn't make the playoffs. So just basically eight and nine got to play for that last spot. They would do like a one game play in, basically, yeah. for or we'd have like ten teams and like seven, eight, nine, and ten would play in. You know, for like the playoffs. So I liked it. I'm okay with that. Hey, speaking of play ins, yeah, I'm no I'm no scientist, but let's talk about some hockey cards. Yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, wait, I didn't get that joke. Speaking of play-ins. It was all unrelated things that made no sense. There was no oh, joke there. Okay, gotcha. So um, that's why I didn't laugh. You know, they say so funny, I forgot to laugh. Well, that wasn't funny, so I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, that's what my kids say to my jokes, too. Oh. Dad, that, Dad, that's not funny. Do you I tell dad funny. jokes? All the time, of course. Really, not. you don't strike me as the dad joke type. Oh, that I'm 
that that's just that's my thing. Like, but in, a, in an ironic way, of course. Um, both in ironic way and also in I tell them because I find them amusing and I like to make my kids roll their eyes. Okay, okay. So, yeah, that's what I meant in an ironic sort of way. Yeah, they um, they don't appreciate my humor and I think I think I've worn out my welcome with my humor on my wife as well. So I laugh. So at least someone's laughing in my house. Well, that's what happens when you're home all day. Well, she's not home all day, but you are. So I guess. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I work from home. So, uh, you know, you know like, like, for instance, my latest one was, what do you call a pudgy psychic? What? What do you a, call a pudgy psychic? A, a fortune teller. Uh... That's exactly the reaction they had. Oh. All right, moving on. Well, it's just that, like, the punchlines are, like, not, they're not snappy. They're just so, like, oh, I get it. But, oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, moving away from dad jokes and over to some hockey cards. Upper Deck, week 40 game-dated moment. So, Upper Deck is doing their thing where they're looking into the past uh, to um, make some hockey cards that... Obviously, don't tie into this season, but tie into seasons past. So, card number 91 comes from July 7th, 1980. Uh, Jerry Cheevers retires after 13 NHL seasons, takes over as Bruins head coach. Card number 92 is from July 9, 2009. Joe Sackick retires after two decades in the NHL. Some interesting choices there. I mean, Sackick is a well-collected player, so I could see that one being a popular card among people who collect. But um, Cheevers, that's just interesting because he's, you know, from way back when. I'm liking the fact that they're doing these cards, you know, of things that happened in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. It's, you know, what else can you do? There's nothing going on right now. You can't make a card of Corey Crawford unfit to play, although I would buy that card. Yeah. yeah. I'd put it next to my gritty streaking card. What, what what would you call Corey Crawford if if he was a psychic? Uh Fortune Crawford? A, a Fortune Crawford. Yes. No. Yes, we'll, go, we'll go with that. Okay. So you didn't really have a punchline. No, I was just gonna say fortune teller again. Oh, <laughs> No, a fortune tender. Oh, there you go. I like Boom. that. Boom. Boom. I like that. Dude, we could totally write the Sal and Tim comedy hour. All right. right. Thank thank you. Good night. That's the end of our show, folks. Yeah, can't cannot top that one. Nor tip, would nor should we try. Tip your waitress. Tie the try the veal. Okay. So also in hockey card news. So some recent cards coming out from President's Choice Trading Cards. They have a, a new series of cards called Patch which is just a piece of game-worn patch on a card. They have something called Vintage Memorabilia, and it's old-school players, uh, three pieces of game-worn memorabilia. And then my favorite is a set that they put out called Journey, which is a player pictured with three different teams, and they use jersey swatches from 
the three different teams that he played on or three teams that he's pictured on because some of the guys have more than three teams. And some of them only played like maybe with two teams. So then they use like an all-star game jersey, which I thought was cool to get it up to to three. So I, I personally like those cards. I think they're pretty sharp. Yeah, I saw a couple shots of them. They're, they're, uh, they're pretty cool. The fact that they have the jersey of the player and it mm-hmm. matches the jersey on the swatch, what a novel concept. Right, so if they're wearing a white jersey, it's a white jersey swatch. Yeah. And not like a, you know, a blue jersey with the player wearing a uh, white jersey in the picture. That that always, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, I, I've never liked that. It's like, you know, I'm sorry, but if it's Patrick Kane and he's wearing a red jersey, sorry, if it's Patrick Kane and he's, and you're using all these red jersey swatches, Use a photo of him in a red jersey. They're not hard to find. You know what I mean? Especially for, like, newer players. They're not hard to find. I could see it being a little bit harder. But, no, there's so much hockey photos out there until you go back to the, like, black and white era. Then you're kind of... But then again, those guys didn't really change jerseys too often. So, you know, if it's a, um, you know, a Howie Morenz jersey, chances are it was a jersey that he wore for, you know, three seasons in a row. Right. Right. You know, the Canadians actually did not wear. I mean, they did have white jerseys, but they tried to wear their red jerseys as much as they could. You know, home and away. They tried to wear them whenever they could before they adopted the whole, you know, before they standardized the whole red. Sorry, the whole white and color jerseys, you know, so. Right. Anyway, so that's a whole show on Franken jersey cards. Oh, yeah, I. I'm kind of mad that I sold that Mark Savard card now because it's my go-to for worst card. But I just had to get rid of it, and somebody bought it, and they're happy with it. And I have a picture of it on my hard drive, but eh, I kind of wish I kept it now because it's just such a terrible card. I mean, probably the Dino Cicerelli card that pictures him as a North Star in a nice green jersey and uses a red swatch from a Red Wings jersey, that's probably my new worst Franken card. That's uh, that's a good one. I have a couple Bill Guerin's where it shows him with a card swatch of one team. He's pictured in another team, and it actually says on the card a third team. Mm-hmm. So those are those are my favorite. They get they get the trifecta of awesomeness. Yeah, like the Mark Savard card that I had that that did the same thing. It is the the trifecta of uh, of awfulness. Yeah. So um. Speaking of awful, not that this set was awful, but uh, our big topic for today is uh, Bowman Hockey, 1992-93 Bowman Hockey. So here's what spurred me to start thinking about this set. Our last podcast was about 96-97 SP Authentic, and one of our listeners, Mike Truman, he put a comment on the the Puck Junk blog, and he just said that he says, Basically, I'm replying to this as I listen to the podcast, so you may mention it later, but 92-93 Bowman had SPs inside its base set, the Foil All-Stars. They weren't extreme SPs like Black Diamond, but I'd say they qualify, because we said Black Diamond was the first set to have short prints. As part of their base set, yes. As part of their base set, because before that, when Upper Deck put out like an SP card, it was a separate insert card. Or when uh, Pro Set and and Parkhurst put in those P 
PC cards or no, uh, Pro Set did the CC cards and Bowman did or not Bowman, uh, uh, Parker's did the PC cards and Tops did like the helmet stickers. Those were all not part of the set. Like right. you could get the 87, 88 Tops hockey set and then there was the sticker set and that was separate. But we collected it anyways because it was we consider it like you know it's it's an insert set basically that's the difference an insert set versus part of the set so i just thought this was interesting that he brought this up because i said well, it just proves that there's many people out there way smarter than we are <laughs> yeah um and they're doing better things with their time than podcasting about hockey cards from 30 years ago and uh, yeah. we are telling somebody's dad jokes somebody's got to do it um, so I, I thought, you know what, what made me think about this is I said, you know what, Bowman is not a forgotten set. Like I initially was thinking it's an overlooked set. It's an overlooked set. When you look at hockey cards from the nineties, what do we think about? We think about upper deck, we think about pro set. Maybe we think about like some of the early Pacific sets from later years and some of like the die cut sets and, um, we don't, you know, score check it, stuff like that, right? When we think of like, when I think like 90s hockey cards or like, you know, Fleer Metal Universe, right? But 92, 93, That's what I was Bowman, say, yeah. Metal Universe cards. Right. I mean, that those are such 90s cards. But like, we think of like Bowman and a 92, 93 Bowman, like that didn't even cross my mind. I was racking my brains. Like when we were talking about Black Diamond, I'm like, well, were there any other sets that had short prints? that were considered part of the base set. And yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I want to talk about this set anyways, because like I said, it's overlooked. It um, is. I mean, it largely is because it falls victim of that era. You know, you think, oh, there's a 92, 93 Bowman set. Well, it's got to be garbage because everything was garbage. And up to that point, Bowman, I mean, 90, 91 Bowman, their reintroduction back into the hobby was, I mean, some people like that set, but ugh, it's a, that's a rough set. Some of the photos are good, but man, they're grainy. And a lot of them are dark, dark, you know, they, it's almost like, you know, taking photos in that, you know, that dark arena where the players are just a couple of them on the ice warming up and stuff like that. But, you know, and then 99, 91, 92, I, I think 91, 92 got overhyped for what it was mm-hmm. and just didn't pan out the way it should have, which led to the reason why 92, 93 Bowman gets overlooked. And that's because there was just, frankly, no interest in it. To the From, point where it was under-ordered by dealers. Sure. The pre-sales just weren't there. They probably still had boxes of 9091 sitting on their shelves, and they probably had boxes of 9192 sitting on their shelves that nobody wanted. So when it's like, do you want to buy 9293 Bowman? It's like, ah, I'll take a pass. The upper deck cards are selling pretty well, and, you know, oh, score's always a, a pretty good seller, but yeah, maybe I don't want Bowman this year. Well, and the other thing that has pretty much always been a driving force behind uh, a product is the rookie class. And look at this set. Who's in there? 
No one. One. There's, There's one. Guy yeah. Bear. You have Guy <laughs> in there. You got Dave Williams. You got Bill Lindsay and John LeBlanc. Yeah. Okay. Considering that if you look at the other sets across the board for 92, 93, you had the opportunity to put Bill Guerin in there. You could have put Sergey Zubov in there. You could have put Ray Whitney in there. You could have put Martin Straka in there. You could have put the Hammer, Roman Hammerlick in there. I mean, all of those guys were available in other releases as rookies that year, but they were absent. So well, you're left with four rookie cards in the entire set, and that's Dave Williams, Bill Lindsay, John LeBlanc, and Guy Bear. Of which most people probably have only heard of Key Haber. Unless you're a huge David Williams fan, then I apologize to you. So, uh, well, one thing, so one of the problems with Tops, and this became more apparent in the later 90s or the, you know, 93, that's still the early 90s, but uh, is that they didn't do the Series 1, Series 2 thing. So that's why you could get Roman Hammerlick in there because a lot of the sets had series two upper deck did a high number series um score wait a minute no score did not do a rookie and traded that year actually score kind of score kind of blue because they did one massive set and they didn't do a rookie and traded set that year um you had uh parkhurst did a series one and series two and they were able to get rookies in there uh stadium club did a series one and series two, but I have a theory about that. And my theory is that it was really just meant to be series one, but they decided to chop it into two series. Because if you look at all of the guys in stadium club series two, it's just more veteran players. I mean, they got pictures of guys who were traded, but not in their new jerseys or anything. So it just literally seems like they took a 528 card set and cut it into two uh, 264 card sets and sold it that way. Um, so yeah, so tops was just so mired in this. We make one set at the beginning of the year and we sell it and that's it. So Bowman, my problem, well, let me ask you this. What did Bowman in 1991 or 91, 92 do that the top set didn't already do? Uh, nothing. Yeah, exactly. That I can think of. Wasn't I mean, a trick question. Yeah, uh, 1991 Bowman came out, and were there inserts? Yeah, there were the Hat Trick Hero or Hat Tricks hat or whatever they're called, which was basically the same card as the Topps Glossy inserts. Yeah, it, it's essentially the same. It was the same thing, just recycled over again. 91, so, 92. I can't even remember what was inserted in that. I will tell you because this because this little sneaky thing. I had to do a little bit of quick math. That is a 429-card base set, 91-92 Bowman. And what they did was 33 of the cards have little, like, um, what's it called? Foil stamp Oh, the foil stamp. On them. Yeah, like, like little, for like, the... Little, like, Calder Trophy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the, because they, they released the, that, um, they're like playoff cards. They show, yeah. like, highlights from the playoffs. So what what they did basically was is because what what they would do is they would do uh, 132 card sheets so you had 396 non-foil cards and then they would do 
So 30, 60, 90, 120. So then they would do another sheet of just the cards with the foil stamping because those would have to be a separate sheet because it was a separate process, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because you print those separate. So those are kind of like insert cards, but they're really not. I mean, they would have taken the place of like a 33-card sticker set, for instance. But um, instead, they do... um, they did the yeah with the with the trophies. So I mean, at that point, they were trying to do something unique with Bowman by ninety one ninety two. Like, well, some of these cards have a little. If you look hard enough, there's a little foil trophy stamped on them. But nobody cared. Like nobody cared that the cards had full color backs because they were still kind of like plain cards. Ninety one ninety two Bowman wasn't terrible. But I think at that point, we had so much stuff to collect because we had Parkhurst, we had Pro Set Platinum, hell, we had regular Pro Set, we had Score, we had Pinnacle, I mean, we had Top Stadium Club. There was so much stuff coming out in 91-92 that I overlooked Bowman. I mean, I bought like only a few packs of it, more of as a curiosity in 91-92, so by 92, 93, I wasn't even thinking about it. Like, I didn't even, like, it wasn't at my supermarket. If I went to the store, I'd grab a pack of score or a pack of upper deck or maybe a pack of tops because I did like the gold cards and we talked about those in a separate podcast. But, like, I wasn't like, oh, man, where are the Bowman cards? I got to find Bowman cards. I got to visit all the card shops and try to find Bowman cards. That was not on my mind. I was probably more like, where's Pro Set? It's supposed to be out this year. Yeah, and even if you could find it, once you did and once everybody caught on to the fact that these were you know, deliberately underproduced, pack prices shot through the roof. I remember them being 10 bucks. I found an eBay auction selling some Bowman packs recently, and they had old price tags on them that said $15. Jeez. So- some dealers were selling them for trying to sell them for 15. So that's like $30 in today money. Could you imagine $30 for, I mean, now we have packs that are hundreds of dollars, but look at what you're getting. Right. You're getting, I mean, you're probably going to get an autograph or a Jersey card. And in Bowman, where are you going to get? You're going to get a gold bordered Phil Housley card. Yeah. But you know, at least the gold border looks like some kind of gold embossed business card holder for some corporate executive from Wall Street. No, you know what these look like to me? Do you remember the Broder cards from the early 90s would sometimes have gold borders around them? You yeah, know what but I'm talking was, about? They weren't gold foil, though. They were like just gold. Well, gold printing, well, weren't they? No, or sometimes. Some of they were orange. I remember the orange ones. No, I have an Ed Bell for one that's oh, like a, a gold... Yeah, it's a horizontal card, and it's, like, got a gold border around it that's shiny. And, you know, and then the back is, like, blue with, like, black ink. It's pretty terrible. Like, the back of the card is so terrible compared to the front of the card. Like the, the backs of those the- cards always remind me of the old classic baseball, the game cards. Oh, yeah. That's what they remind me of. Without so, the stats. So, yeah, so so Bowman, so, yeah, so... Dealers didn't buy it because there was really no interest in the previous year. So then all of a sudden... What was the pack was... price supposed to be on those? Like a buck fifty, two bucks maybe? Maybe not even that high. They could have been a dollar a pack. I mean, I want to think... See, I'm struggling to remember what Stadium Club cards cost back then. I want to say they were $1.99 a pack. 
And I want to say that like the Bowman's would have been anywhere between 55 cents to $1.99. They weren't as good as Stadium Club. So maybe these were meant to be like a dollar card. Because you know what? I will say this. 92-93 Bowman cards are nicer than 92-93 Topps cards. The uh, They're printed on better stock. I'll agree um, with that. You know, the backs are colorful. Uh, the set uh, suffers from over-design in the fact that, like, on the back of the um, card, there's, like, this hatched pattern that makes, like, the height and the weight and the last amateur club and all that other stuff hard to read. Um, and then Bowman had this, this it borrowed this idea from baseball. So it gives a little bit of backstory to non-baseball card collectors. Bowman was a competitor to Tops in the 50s for the baseball card market. They Bowman made other sets to other sports. But this was back when the, the card companies would sign the players to to deals. And they would say, hey, we'll give you $500 if we could picture you on baseball cards for the next five years. And so then it became kind of like this competition between Topps and Bowman because they were signing these these players. And it's like, oh, you're pictured on a Bowman card. You can't be pictured on a Topps card or whatever. So eventually what Topps did is they just bought out the Bowman company with just the intentions of shutting them down. Then in 89, they brought yeah. the team back. If you can't beat them, put them out of business. Put them out of business. I mean, that's what, Mar- that's what Marvel Comics did with Malibu Comics. And that really upset me because I was working in a comic book store, 92, 93. And I remember Malibu Comics like reinvented itself with this whole side project called the Ultraverse that was actually really damn good. And Marvel saw that and they said, oh, no. They're st- <laughs> they're making superhero comics that are pretty good, so they bought them just to shut them down, which is a terrible thing if you think about it. I mean, oh, so Co- competition so- broils hatred, and uh, you know, if you want to be the best, you gotta <laughs> figure out how to put everybody out. Beat the best or buy the best. Yeah, there you go. So. So tops. What do you call that design on the back, by the way? What would you call that design? What do you mean the design? On the back of the card, on the back of the cards, like the border edge. That, that, what would you call that, that? That pattern? Yeah. What do you call that? Uh, I was calling it a hatching, mm. but maybe it's more looks kind of like a burlap, burlap. I call it yeah. burlap. I call it a potato sack. Potato sack. It's, it's the potato sack design. It is a potato sack. Yeah. So a pa- potato sack pattern. So. Uh, Tops says in 89, all right, we're going to use the Bowman name. We're going to bring it back because we want to make another set of baseball cards because, oh my God, we have all this competition now with Fleer and Donruss and now Upper Deck. And they did for a while, had these some of these guys for a while being their competitor. So we're going to put another card out there that's just slightly bigger just to annoy uh, collectors, right? So that was 89 Bowman Baseball. And then they put out their 1990 Bowman baseball. And then they used that same design for their 90, 91 Bowman hockey. Uh, Not only the same border on the front, but on the back, what they would do is they would do this like matrix or spreadsheet. Maybe you could call it a spreadsheet of the players, players stats. Or or back then it would have been a a Lotus note sheet. (laughs) Lotus notes. Lotus one, two, three. Yeah. Lotus one, two, three. That's what it would be. Yeah. And so a Lotus, um, I don't think XL existed yet. 
No, no, that's why I didn't say spreadsheet. I guess yeah. spreadsheets did exist back then, but they just weren't like how we know them. So, uh, and it, it basically gives a breakdown of how the guy played against every team. For a lot of these guys, it's a colossal waste of time because or late waste of space because you have Guy Bear who played one game against the Bruins, two against the Sabres, one against the Blackhawks, one against the Red Wings, one against the Whalers, one against the Kings, Canadians, Devils, Islanders, and Penguins, one game each, and then two against the Maple Leafs. Okay, maybe not the greatest example, but he's only played 13 games, but we're sh they're showing us how he did against the Flames, zero games. The Oilers, zero games. The North Stars, zero games. So it's kind of a waste of space. It's an interesting idea for baseball when you play another team seven times a season. And you well, go, oh, how did this guy do against this team? How did he do against that team? And he played significant games. But here you have, like, guys who, like, you know, only play, like, a handful of games. Or, you know, they only play, at most, three games against a non-division rival. It, it's kind of a neat idea, but it seemed a little misplaced here. It's like advanced statistics before that even was a thing. It was interesting at the time. Like, I thought it was cool for baseball. But like I said, for hockey, it was just like, uh, okay, it's kind of nice. I mean, I'm looking at, say, like here, I got Vincent Damfus, right? Because he played 80 games, right? So, I mean, okay, in three games against the Bruins, he had two goals, and in three games against the Sabres, he had six assists. That's pretty damn interesting. I mean, he's in Edmonton, so he was not playing um, the Bruins or the Sabres regularly. So there, I mean, he got like six assists against Boston. Now against the Flames, where he played them seven times that year, three goals, four assists. Blackhawks. In three games, two goals, one assist. So, yeah, that is Point per game guy right there. Yeah. Oh, he's kicking ass. I mean, he had a 89-point season that year. So, okay, I will give it that, that they are kind of interesting for guys to play a lot of games and face a lot of teams. I'll say, all right, that is kind of neat. But I think that's maybe a little bit neater for, like, baseball, maybe. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, and it has a color headshot on the back. And... um. You know, another thing that I kind of like about this that I didn't notice when I wrote about this, when I did my uh, annual uh, rundown of every set, and I did every set from 92, 93, um, these cards actually don't have team logos on the front. And that was actually a really smart idea because you had guys go in the expansion draft. So, you know, we're maybe we're getting a little tired at that point of seeing a guy in a Blackhawks jersey, but they put a Sharks logo in the corner, right? So here they would have had to have do that, do that with like the Senators and the um, Lightning. But like I look at like Peter Sidorkovich's card, and the back of the card says Ottawa Senators, but the front doesn't have a team name, so it doesn't feel like a Franken card, you know? Yeah, and most people probably wouldn't flip it over to look at the back; they would just look at the jersey, and it goes into that pile. Goes into the whalers pile, right? right. Like, you, you know, what do you do with the what do you do with the Terry Raskowski card from '83 that pictures him with the Blackhawks but has a Kings border? What do you What do you do? Um, you put it in the Penguins pile. Well, but he wasn't with either team back then. No. Well, but you just feel bad because he had his captaincy taken from him. So. Well, who got it? They gave it to Mario. Well, that's okay. 
I thought Dan Frawley was the last captain before Mario. I think they shared it. I think okay. it was like a co-captaincy. Okay. So I um, I was going to say, like, when I was a kid and I first started collecting sports cards in 1985, it was 1985 Top Baseball, and that was when I would go to a store and spend like three, four dollars on cards. Like, I, no, they were like 35 cents a pack. So I probably didn't spend as much, but I'd probably get like three, four, five packs. And... I would put them in those photo albums that had the magnetic pages. Remember, they were like the sticky, like the semi kind of little tacky on the back. And then they had like the the magnetic page that would lift up. And then like the back was a little tacky and you'd put your photos and then you put the magnetic page back down. Do you remember that? Or static? Yeah. 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 They don't do them like that anymore because they damage the photos. But back then, that was a standard thing. So I had one of those four my baseball cards and i remember um davy lopes 85 tops card he's pictured with the a's but there was a little stripe that said now with cubs a little blurb and i didn't know what to do i wasn't even thinking card numbers at the time like i didn't even know that there were 792 cards i just knew that there were guys on different teams, and I would sort them by team because that just made sense. And then I was just like, well, do I put them with the Cubs or do I put them with the A's? So my workaround was I put them with the A's, but I put the A's on the opposite page of the Cubs so that he'd be close to the Cubs. I, I don't know what my reasoning was. Probably because I'd watch baseball and I'd open my book to see the more about the players that I would see on TV because they used to show Cubs games all the time. On free TV. Now it's on some um, pay-per-view stuff or some some separate cable network called Marquee, and people are losing their shit over it because it's not on Comcast, and, like, 50% of Chicago has, like, Comcast as its, like, cable provider, and they yeah. can't get this... They can't get this Cubs network. That's a bit of a fail. Uh, yep. So, anyway, so, um... Yeah, so, um... What do you think about the all-star cards, though, with the gold borders? Um, I, I, I like them. Um, the fact that they were difficult to find kind of makes this more, like we were saying, the first, I, 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 I guess, I, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to say it was the first because we've already been corrected once. And somebody else may throw out one, another one and find one from another time frame. But, you know, the fact that it was had short prints and they were numbered part of it. You know, you think it's an insert card, but it's not. It's it's part of the base set. They're numbered as part of the base set. So, you know, being able to pull one of those per pack, you kind of felt like you were getting something. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, they were part of the set. Uh, so it was kind of a cool idea to have that. Um and then there's also the one other foil card, the Mario Lemieux award card. Mm -hmm. That's number, what, 440, I think, in the set. Yeah. Um, which, that's the, I call that the, the sinking boat card. What? Oh, because he... Um, so, if, if you take a good look at that card, the picture's kind of shot sort of from an angle. Mm -hmm. So, it looks like the table that he's sitting at with the award is tipping sideways mm -hmm. and because of the way they cropped it, he's kind of falling off of the card. So it's like the boat is tipping. 
Yeah, this would have been, yeah, this would have been right after they beat the Blackhawks. This is probably in the basement of old Chicago Stadium. So as far as we know, the floor was probably So crooked. the floor was probably slanted, yeah. That, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good so, point. ooh, I almost bent the, hey, I pulled the card out of the page, <laughs> dropped it, went to get it, and like caught it against my side and it started to bend. And then I like stopped really quickly. No! So here's the, here's the thing with those cards. So yeah. looking looking back on it then, you probably didn't think as much of it then other than the fact that, oh, look at this cool card that's got all this gold foil on it. Looking back at it now with everybody conscious of quality and grades and all of that kind of thing, these aren't as easy as people think to get in good quality grades because of the foil. The foil chips. And those cards weren't that easy to keep in that great a condition unless you actually stuck them in a top loader immediately. And back in 1992, how many people, how many kids stuck their cards in top loaders? I mean, I didn't. I don't I, know. Pa but pages would be about it back then. Well, I bought a set that was in pages probably about six or seven years ago. You bought it was the full set that was already in pages? Bought the full set. It was already in pages in a binder. I mean, I couldn't do better than that. Like, I, I realized that I, I didn't want to chase around. I didn't want to build the set because it would be hard, you know, because I didn't want to buy three boxes and maybe have a full set and pay a lot of money for the boxes. So I figured if I was going to break the bank, which I didn't didn't do, I think I got this for under 100 I want to say maybe I got it for 50 or 60 which is a lot for a 92-93 set. For this set, I'd say that's pretty good. Just well, it's good that you bring that up because yeah. it's it's definitely not unheard of to find this for 50 or 60 bucks complete with the foils. Yeah. However, don't be surprised if you find this running more in the $80 range because a lot of people have pushed – a lot of people's interest in this time frame again has pushed those numbers a little further north of there. But I will advise anyone, especially set builders like us, do not try to piece this set together by hand because it's going to cost you at least four times that right. to be able to put this whole set together. Most of the star cards that are the foil cards are going to run you a couple bucks, if not more. You know, spending five or six bucks on the Gretzky card is not, you know, not impossible. And when you have to build, put together 44 of them, 45 if you count the Mario card. Mario, yeah. I mean, you're you're talking a lot of money for a set that pieced together is gonna go for fifty or sixty bucks. You could do, like you said, you could buy, you could try to buy a bunch of wax boxes if you can find them intact. They're pretty rare; they don't come up very often for sale. And if when they do, they're gonna run you one hundred fifty bucks or so, depending on the condition of the box. I've seen them sell for higher. There's one listed on eBay right now for three hundred dollars. Which uh, will probably get that. It'll continue being listed on eBay for three hundred dollars. But the last couple that that I've seen that sold have sold right in the one fifty range. So good luck finding one though. And if you want to spend one hundred fifty bucks on a box of cards that's not going to net you the whole set, not going to net you all the gold cards, and you're still going to have a bunch to chase, more power to you. But you can go out and probably spend between fifty to eighty dollars and get the whole set put together. And in your case, even get it put in pages. Yeah, well, I lucked out on that. But I, I, I was actually 
aware of the fact that if I'm buying a set from somebody that put it in the pages, they probably took good care of the set. And I'd say these, I'd say yes, because I'm looking at these like gold bordered cards and none of them have any uh, uh, chipping on the edges. So I have a Ray Bork one that mm -hmm. looks like it was eaten by a lawnmower. Oh dear. Because the foil has fallen off. I still have the card, but you know. Putting on the foil coach. Yeah. It's, it's pretty beat up. So I think one thing I need to mention is that, so the checklist says that there's 441 cards Liars. and that's counting the 45 gold bordered cards, but there is actually a 442nd card that's not on the checklist. Because Tops is a bunch of liars. Yeah. The so, secret, the secret hidden card. The, no the, the not so about. secret, secret card. Yeah. The secret card that everyone knows about that no one knows about. Yeah. Uh, Ernie was his name? Ernie Ernie Lindemann, I believe, was his name. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric Lindros at the press conference, at the Flyers press conference, wearing his Flyers jersey in front of a Flyers backdrop. So basically what Topps did with all its sets is they said, we want to put Eric Lindros in these sets, but we can't until he actually skates in an NHL game this year, but we're going to do it anyway. We're just going to slide him in there in the set, not put him on the checklist. And then when our cards come out in October, well, he would have played a game by then. Could you imagine yeah. if, could you imagine the lawsuits if he got hurt, didn't play in that game and in, in, in like the opening night game and then um, tops, top stadium club and, and Bowman all come out and he's in those and, and upper deck series one or upper, upper deck, uh, low number series comes out. All those sets have Lindros in them. And it's like, well, he didn't play an NHL game. So he's still technically under contract with score, you know, and then score starts suing them. Cause that's all they did back then. Hell they're suing each other. That's all now they do now. For, Panini, uh, upper deck leaf. All of yeah, those upper deck is suing Panini over a micro micro Jordan as I'm calling him. Micro Jordan, the micro left, Jordan side. Yeah. Yeah. On the, on, on, Rodman's card. Um, he's in a he's in a uh, he's in a hoops card from back in the day too, wearing his uh, number twelve jersey. Oh, the yeah, day the day that his jersey got stolen from the from the uh, laundry basket, and you know, uh, he had to wear twelve for one game. I remember that game. Yeah. The, you know what's funny about this set is that I mean, just talking about unintended or maybe intended cameos. There's this really great card of, uh, I mean, it's okay. It's a, it's a card of um, Gary Galley. But what's kind of funny about this card is it's not that great of a picture. It's kind of okay. But Gretzky's lying on the ice behind him. Oh, yeah. And Bob Kudelski is, like, next to him. And then the very next card is Bob Kudelski. So I don't know if they're, they planned that. But uh, it just kind of... Actually, you know what's interesting about this uh, Bowman set is that it was like trying to be a premium set. I actually like it better than Stadium Club from that year. Um, there is a good mix of pictures in this. There, there are the typical warm-up shots from Tops, but then there are a lot of game action shots in this set. I mean, this one of Yarmir Yager, and I'm going to picture it below with the links and the, the pictures. This one of Yager, I mean, it looks like he's trying to get a breakaway. There's some intention there. You know what I mean? He doesn't have full control of the puck. It looks like he's trying to break out 
with the puck. Like there's some there's some like look of intent in his face. You know what I mean? This is not during a warm up. Wouldn't right. you say? So um, th- yeah, I mean you can't see any other players in the shot, but yeah, I nobody's mean, nobody's working that hard. It's just skating around the ice. Right. You know this is this is him. Yeah, he's he's trying to he's trying to take off. You know, and then like um, this one I'm going to point out, and the player's kind of falling over, so he is. It is from the game, but this is a great one of uh, Dan Lambert. He also has a tops card that year, and in both of the class, uh, both of the cards, he's wearing Rex Spec glasses. Yeah. So, um, which he only wore for a couple of games, but yet he had two cards that season. Maybe he had another one, but his two cards, Tops and Bowman, had him pictured uh, wearing Rex Spec glasses. Um, before he just did contacts full time, uh, and then this one is just—it's just a portrait. It's not even that great of a—it's kind of a candid shot, not the greatest, but I like it. Like there's like a mix of candid shots, action shots, warm-up shots, so it actually feels a little bit nicer than like a typical tops era top set. Um, and then a lot of the yep. all-star. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say the only thing I will say though is the all-star ones. Yes, I think I they should have they, they should have stuck with one one design. I think. Yes, that's I, my personal opinion. Continue. No, no, because, no, I was about to say that. Yeah, because the photos they're a mix of on ice shots and posed press photos, and you need to go with one or the other. I think because you're trying to make this stand out, so they intermix them. So all of the cards have the player shown in their all star uniform, but some of them are just some, you know. Of course, they so like the Gretzky card, for instance, they have him basically redoing the Gordie Howe rookie card pose, essentially, and, you know, in front of a backdrop. And, you know, there's some other cards like if you look at Yager's card, it looks like he's basically sitting there for a glamour shots photo. And, you know, so a lot of the cards are just posed photos of the player just kind of sitting there whether they were being interviewed or it was just, you know, press, a press junket they're press thing. Photos. They're publicity uh, photos. They're in front of a, a, a gray high school graduation backdrop. Yeah. So the fact that they actually had action shots to use for some of these, I'm not sure why they used some one way and some the other. I don't, I'm not a fan of that, but I think they should have picked one way or the other. Like if you're going to do, if you want to make this stand out, you want to do something different, make them all the press shots Yes. or make them all, the same type of all-star shot. Like if you don't want to use the player, like doing something or in the middle of something, you know, take a shot of them over on the bench or a shot of them skating around or standing next to a player laughing or something. Cause as we all know, nobody takes the all-star game seriously or they, at least they didn't used to. So, you know, it, it was just a fun time and you're hanging out with your colleagues. So, but yeah, I think they should have stuck with one, Thing on it. The other thing I don't like too is not to change the subject. No, it's okay. I'm not a big fan of the sideways card. I'm glad you mentioned that because they got either. most of the most of the shots are vertical, but they do have sideways cards now. They've done that for years. You know, back some of the early '70s sets go sideways, yep. but most of those are either a team cards or b some type of playoff like look back card, like mm-hmm. high, and that makes them stand out. Oh, this is a playoff card. This is a highlight card. This is a team card. Right. But the rest of the cards are vertical. And in this case, you got them some going this way and some going that way. And I don't know. I don't like that. 
I want to say this about the all-star cards. I, you know, it's funny when you brought that up because that was actually the next thing I was going to talk about. So you, you pretty much said what I was going to say about that, which is cool. We're, we're on the same page on a lot of these things. And I think that's why we, we do so well at this, this podcast is that you, that we bring up things that the other one's thinking about. Um, it's almost like we finish each other's sandwich. Yes, there it is. That's what I was waiting for. Nice. So, um, yeah, I would have gone with just the gray backdrop for all yeah. of them because I feel like this feels like a little more premium of a card. Like, you know, like it's a special card. It's the player in, in the all-star uniform. It's got a gold border. Uh, it's a non-action shot. It's like a candid shot. Um, some of them are close-ups. Some of them are like I'm looking at Luke Robitaille. You know, you could see his hands uh, looking at Phil Housley. It's like from the chest up looking at Brett Hall, full body, but he's still standing in front of the the gray backdrop. And I feel like those cards feel special, kind of like the 93-94 top stadium club cards where they're in front of that like starry backdrop. You know what I'm talking about? The the, the all-star inserts? Yes. Those yes. felt, those were special enough to me that I bought a ton stadium club that year to try to get them all because i just loved those all-star cards so much but like here i mean like even like okay this kevin stevens card is kind of cool because he's battling it out with somebody and there's like another player that's like lying on the ice trying not to like get his face knocked off because there's like these two guys are like crossing their sticks and another guy's just on the ice but like that's a cool shot from an all-star game but like this one of Mario, he's kind of turned, so you don't even see his face. It's not a great picture. Like yeah. if they did this Mario card, like they did this Wayne card, you probably would like it more, right? Just because it'd be a better shot of your favorite player. Right. So uh yeah, um so that's that's what I wanted to say about that. Yeah, like um the mix and match. I mean, I went through this set and I read each each I actually literally read each player's name out loud, and I was just like, yeah, that sounds like a typical top set. They didn't really take any risks. They didn't really put in anybody surprising. They didn't really put in a guy that... They might have put in a guy with a handful of games, but no, not really, like you said, because there's only four rookie cards. So they're not going to put in anybody who would have been like, oh, wow, he actually had a card in that set. Like... um, I mean, I don't like the tops card, the top set, because it has more cards that year. It has a few more rookie cards in it, but that ain't saying much because, yeah. you know, 528 versus 529, sorry, instead of 442. Um, yeah, I don't know. I you mean, it's interesting. I just ran through the list looking at this list of all stars yep. that are in here. Yep. Of the 44 guys in there, it's amazing to go through there and look at how many of those players are now either coaches at some level or executives for a team or involved in broadcasting of, right. of the guys that are on that list. So, And then you have Yager, who technically still hasn't retired from hockey. No. He yeah. hasn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, eh, there's quite a few here. Although I'm looking at a lot of these names and I'm like, okay, Belfour, no. Bellows, no. Chelios, no. Shevelday, no. Damfus, Ellett. Shevelday's a goalie coach. Okay. 
Um, I mean, so I mean, I'm not saying head coach necessarily. No, a lot, but a lot of these guys are involved with various teams in some aspect, whether they're scouts, they're trainers, they're you know goalie coaches, assistant coaches. I mean, Housley was a co- a head coach. Trevor Linden's sure. in management, and um, Lemieux owns a team. Yeah, and 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 Larry Robinson's a coach, and uh, Gary Roberts has that training business and is an executive with the Kings and Steve yeah. Eiserman and so it's just uh, interesting to more you know you can you can make the case that you know these guys were all stars back then and they're you know ambassadors to the game still today Doug Wilson that's a nice one you know um Randy Burge was an all-star who would have thunk um some of these Gold border cards are short printed. Allegedly, okay, so single printed. Single printed or short printed? What 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 word are we, what nomenclature are we gonna use here? I think we go with single printed. Yeah. So it says here I think the um, S and the SP in this case is single print rather single than short print. Printed. So what that's what we're taking that to mean is okay, so there are 18 and 27 is 45. So there are 27 cards that are printed twice as many as 18 cards. Because we're saying, the Beckett here says single printed. So that just basically means when they laid them out on a sheet, they might have put, you know, for every two of one guy, they put one of another guy. So even then, if you bought like 45 packs, you're not necessarily going to get all 18 of these single printed cards. Now to bring up what our listener mentioned earlier, and he said um, they weren't extreme SPs like black diamond, but I'd say they qualify. Well, maybe, maybe not. I, I, I think 45 of cards that you get one in every pack. That's not too much harder than putting together a sticker set other than the cards are more expensive, but it's still a one per pack kind of thing. And yes, some are short printed, but it's still a one-per-pack kind of thing. I think because the set was printed in such small quantities, that's what makes what would be a 50-cent card a $9 card. Well, yeah, and, you know, if you do, you go and do the math, so if there was only, if if the rumors are true that there were only 2,000 cases of these made, 2,000 cases at 16 boxes, you know, that's 32,000 boxes. So break that all the way down, you know, of the foil cards, you're talking a total of a one little over 1.1 million foil cards, and that's across the whole print run. So, you know, assu- assuming equal distribution, you're not talking you're not talking young gun scarcity here, but for an era where everything was overproduced and maybe even still being produced you know you you've got you, you you have scarcity i mean you do um and and that's that's what that's what makes these a little more um desirable desirable yes that was the word i was going to say special but desirable is a good word well i mean yeah i mean because otherwise, if this set was printed in 
the same quantities as say 92, 93 pinnacle, then it would just be no different than it. I mean, a little better maybe. Um, but really like the quality is about the same. I mean, this set doesn't really do anything that the other sets don't do already. Uh, other than maybe picturing all of the all-stars in the Candyland jerseys, because that was those weird 91, 92 yeah. jerseys that had like the blue and white or the, um, blue and red stripes on the shoulders. So somebody referred to, they were referred to as like Candyland jerseys, maybe because they look like candy canes a little bit. The, the stripes. I don't know. I thought it was funny though. Candyland jerseys. Well, yeah. I mean, you have, you have almost 400 players represented. So that's yeah. nothing special. I mean, there's plenty of other sets that have somewhere in that range. The, the rookie cards suck. I mean, there's, there's better choices out there. So there's got to be some draw, something to bring people in, and, and that's going to be the big one. It'd be interesting to go through and see, you know, from that year, how many of the major releases in 92, 93, like what was the production run or what's the overall distribution estimate for some of them? Because I know you're never going to get real numbers, but being able to actually find that, to you know, to, to look at something today and say that, well, there's a grand total of 17,280,000 cards mm -hmm. from Bowman 92-93. People would hear that and be like, 17 million? Are you kidding me? Right. And, uh, you know, boxes upon boxes of these would end up in a campfire. But, <laughs> again, back then, that's crazy. Think of how much Pro Set was made. I mean, really? And how much Upper Deck was put out there. Well, actually, since you mentioned pro sets, so I'd, I'd have to say that, like, the two rarest sets from 92, 93 would be Bowman followed by pro set because pro set just did not have the distribution. Um, well, I was referring more to, like, 90, 91. Pro oh, set. yeah, no, there's tons of that. There's yeah. still unopened boxes of that. Readily um, available for three bucks or to five bucks each. Yeah, so I mean. Now it's closer to 10 because 10. crazy people, but. Yeah, well, you know. It'll go Some, back. Yeah, it'll 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 rebound. When all the um, when all these guys' mortgages are foreclosed on, they'll go back down to five. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, I mean, even just like going to like shows, like I, I almost never see ninety two ninety three Pro Set or ninety two ninety three Bowman, but I bought like a box of ninety two ninety three OPG Premier for like six bucks or something. You know what I mean? And that one would probably be a, a um. You know, even like the 9293 OPC, 9293 Tops. I mean, there's really no shortage of any of those. 9293 Upper Deck, you could still find sealed boxes of the low number and the high number. So they did make a lot of those. Yeah, so Bowman pretty much gets uh, interest because of the relative scarcity. Uh, did you did you have handy the number of when we, when we divided that um, 14 million cards, how many <laughs> that... That broke down to. Um, oh, here well, we go. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say if 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 we ignore the the um, the foils. foils and the short printed foils, that would come down to about forty thousand six hundred twenty five of each card, assuming equal distribution. Well, out of three hundred and ninety six cards, they're gonna have equal distribution. Yeah, the only so one of that's those, weird... that's what that would be. Yeah. The only one that's going to be weird is Lindros because they would have printed that one separately and then put it in. 
Yeah, so there might be more of those. There might be less. We don't know. Although I have no proof that they printed it separately. I'm just assuming because they would have probably started the pre-production on this in summer. And then when Lindros was traded and signed and everything, then they would have probably said, well, we need to put him in there. He's the most important player for 92-93, or most important rookie anyway. So um, yeah, I don't know. score, we're putting him in here. Yeah, we're we're putting them in here. No, you know what's interesting. You know what's interesting. There's yep. uh, there were rumors for a while that there was a, um, not an error card, but a a, a different produced Lindros, um, a non glossy version, supposedly. So I they they had a counterfeit. Well, well, they had a certain card stock that they used, obviously, because all these cards are glossy. But then mm-hmm. at some point, um a non-glossy version of this card started popping up. And the rumor was that they ran out of cards, card stock during that production and used a different stock to print more of this card. But if you ever find that don't buy it, it's not real. Yeah, no, it is. It was unauthorized and is a counterfeit, but they do float around and I've seen them pop up on eBay. So it's not real folks. If you see that card, if you're a Lindros collector and you need to have it, sure, have it. But remember, it's fake. It's not real. So uh, anything else you want to say about this set before we wrap this one up? Well, like I said, it, it's a cool set. You can go back and look at it. It kind of it mirrors what the baseball set did that year. Um, That's right. And they look very similar. So like the, you know, the iconic... Uh, Mariano Rivera rookie from that year, and uh, you'll you'll recognize that design with the the red B up in the corner, and the blue stripe down at the bottom with the player's name on it. Um, so it's 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 a sleek design. It's got good photography. The foil cards are are an extra bonus. Um, but I go back to my original point: if you're going to go after this set, buy it outright. Do not don't chase this set. Don't be crazy. Even even a, this is coming from a set builder that's crazy and adds stuff to his list of things I'll never finish almost on a weekly basis. And this is on my list, but it's also marked as I may never build this set. So it's not high on priority. Yeah, I mean, again, I, like I say, I like to buy sets because I like to be done with them. Um Maybe I build the vintage sets because I'm not going to be able to afford, you know, a $5,000 hockey card set, but a little at a time gets the job done. I'm in no rush. But uh, with this set, yeah, I would definitely say stay away from packs unless you're like one of these people who wants to get everything graded and get it PSA 10 and, and this and that and the other. And that's fine. If that's how you collect, that's fine. I just, I mean, I remember one guy telling me he only, he collected like, oh God, I forgot what set it was, but it was like, he was trying to get all PSA 10s of like, I want to say it was like 9091 Pro set or something, or maybe it was 9091, it wasn't state, it wasn't OPG Premier, but I just said, dude, that is like crazy expensive. And he was like, well, yeah, but it's my hobby and I can collect the way I want to collect. And I I get it. Which is true. Which is true, but I mean, honest to God, you look at like a 700 card set that can be readily had for like $10, 
I would just buy the set and be done with it. But that's just me. You know, I like to look at the cards. It doesn't need to be in a slab of carbonite to be more appealing to me. Yeah. And, and other than the gold foil cards in this set, there's really nothing that's slab worthy. Unless you're a huge Gihei Bear fan and you, you got to have his rookie card from 92, 93 Bowman slabbed and sealed for for eternity so yeah so definitely buy the buy the set outright if you're going to do that don't build it and then you too can be one of the owners of the twenty five thousand six hundred available full sets that would be on the market with the foil cards if you don't want the foil you could have one of forty thousand six hundred twenty five sets so <laughs> wow i feel less special for having the set now yeah Way to, way to bring the room down. Good job. All right. So anyways, thanks for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you like the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell anybody who will listen to you that, hey, you got to check out this podcast with Sal and Tim. It's about hockey. It's about hockey cards. We love this podcast. Um, and then also, if uh, you want to support this podcast, please uh, think about buying a T-shirt from shop.talkjunk.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. And peace out. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk. Junk.